You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. This to me is like the really fascinating material. We don't know what the answer is, but we're looking for patterns. I think we're looking at kind of a type of cosmic alchemy. The story slowly grew Still, a lot of people don't know that this technology actually exists. The possibilities here are pretty mind-blowing. I, I had a, you know what it was? I, I have this uh, interview with Knox Mente. I, I didn't even know what they were. Yeah. And uh, like, I'd never listened to them before or anything. And I was all worried about it. I thought that was this week. And I was, I was listening to a bunch of their shows. And then I looked at my schedule and it was next week, but it got me all confused. And I, I'm all mixed up. Anyway, I'm here now. Have you talked to them yet? No, not yet. I, I was on there. They talk. They want to talk to you about your dreams. Yeah, I'll have to break out my dream journal because I don't remember uh, too many of them. Yeah, it was. I I thought I wasn't going to have anything to talk about, but I it ended up like they got a lot out of me that I actually didn't even stuff I didn't even realize. You know, <laughs> it's like it's like being psychoanalyzed yeah, or something. I'll have to listen to your show because I, I didn't like know anybody I, except Josh. And then yeah. I was like, well, I'll just listen to Josh's show and just say what he said. The, I, <laughs> I think they talked to Soraya. Uh, did they? must have been earlier because only a few of them came up on. They're only on YouTube, right? Yeah, I think so. I don't think they put them up on. Uh, yeah, I was I was looking on my phone and, and only a few came up. So, you know, it's good to speak to you. 
Yeah, man. I, I, I must apologize again. I'm glad you guys aren't. You're, you're not live, right? No. You're not live. no. Okay. okay, cool. We, so I only, I only held you up, not your whole audience. We, we would have been sitting there going like, where's Tim Ritter? <laughs> Are you recording, Rob? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. I, I just want you to know, Tim, that uh, I'd never, disca- never discounted you initially. <laughs> Unlike some people. <laughs> <laughs> I've just given them a hard time. <laughs> Unlike my future co-author and and Mr. Sarai. Yeah, yeah. What well, I guess it was just like a lo- the cuz it was it had a local flavor to it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, obviously, you know, they they didn't know how magnificent it was going to be. I can't blame them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, it is it is pretty magnificent. <laughs> In- incredible, uh, incredibly so. Well, enjoyed the book. Cool. Uh, as always, I I really enjoy your writing style. I think it's uh, I think I think you write you, you're a really good writer. Thank you. Thanks so much. And, and the stories are just the stories are just excellent that you that I'm, you I'm, collect. I'm glad. I think. I mean, like uh, you know. There's more of me in this one, um, obviously, like I'm yeah. telling my own stories, but uh, I don't know. I'm settling into to my writing. I think um, I, I, I think it's a better book than Beyond the Seventh Gate, um, you know, just as far as writing and, and, and the art, the way it looks. I'm, I'm real happy with that. When you started this whole thing, writing Beyond the Seventh Gate, we've started, by the way, Tim. Uh, okay. <laughs> When you started the whole thing, I mean, did you ever think that you were going to become the guy that people were going to tell their stories to, that you were going to become like a repository for a lot of people? No, I honestly, I thought I was probably going to be a footnote on the, the local shelf in the bookstore, you know, where the, where the local ghost stories are. And I thought I was going to have to wrestle to get, get onto that. Quite honestly, I did not yeah. expect um, what happened to happen. I'm very, very happy about it. Yeah. Cause you're getting people coming to you nationwide now about their own experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And some of that's uh, strange familiars. Um, some of it's the books, you know? So, um, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy for that. Well, these books, even though, you know, they've got that local flavor to them, it still makes you think about, your own area like 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 i'm saying like my area here or someone else's area that's in another place uh, thinking about what's weird and strange what's in the local lore like it really makes you think that about that like this book and the other one yeah i mean i you know josh said uh on strange familiars he thinks that, that someone should just plop me down in a in a place like Skinwalker Ranch for for a year and and just film and see what happens and uh, but a big part of that is the research you know I'm I'm doing I love boots on the ground stuff I love to be out in the field I love doing that but I also do a ton of research old books old newspapers historical societies et cetera et cetera you know it, it takes both to to uh, to bring this information together. And uh, I don't think that part of a reality show would be very interesting. Just, you know, me going through <laughs> newspaper. <archives. laughs> right. 
This is uh, Serfiel, by the way. I just want to say it, it was really inspiring reading the book because I'm doing some research of my own on some local stuff. And, you know, like you, like you said, using all those resources and, and stories and putting stuff together, it was, it was really inspiring. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I, I mean, I think when I first started, I said I, it wouldn't matter where I was, that I would find the weird stuff no matter where I was. At this point, I, I do think maybe there is something about Pennsylvania where there is a little more weird stuff here, mm-hmm. but uh, there's weird stuff everywhere. People can find, like, I'm, I'm sure of it. If you dig in and you start asking around, you, you'll find uh, you'll find the weird stuff near you, you know? But I'm sure having that personal connection really helps. Yeah, yeah, and having, I mean, you know, I grew up for about 20 miles from here, so not far at all, but I'm still not from around here, as far as anyone in New York County is concerned that, that's been here for any amount of time, but my wife's been here. She was born here, so I have the instant in, as far as that goes. She, she's, you know, technically from around here, according to York County people. <laughs> I always say, if, if someone around here remembers that your grandparents' grandparents weren't born here, then you're not from around here. It doesn't matter that, like, go if you go back far enough, my relatives actually founded this area i mean the first coroner of york county is a, is a direct ancestor of mine really? uh, all of my relatives came through here but it doesn't matter because people can't remember that <laughs> were, were you uh, you're you were originally from like across the state line of maryland right which yeah, isn't was, very far away no i grew up in yeah. northern maryland like a stone's throw away really i mean like i said it's about 20 miles from where i am now yeah it, it because I was just there like last year and it's like you, you drive from Gettysburg, you're in Maryland for a little bit and then you're in West Virginia and then you're in Virginia. It doesn't take long to get anywhere from, from, from that area. So, yeah. And we're, uh, we're like dead center East coast here. It's, it's a great place to be if you want to, you know, like it's not terribly far to go to New York. It's not far to go to DC. It's not far to go to Philadelphia. Right. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty nice as far as that goes. I think it only took me like 45 minutes to, to when I met up with you from Philadelphia. I think it was only about 45 minute drive. Then you were hauling <laughs> to be a little more than that, but well, you know, maybe was, an hour and a half, something like that. I was coming but, from uh, Norristown, which is a little bit further. Something I wanted to ask you about, cause you, you start this up in the introduction of the book where you talk about some terminology and you use the term goblin universe and versus what you really refer as the other. I just yeah. want to get your thoughts on that. Well, um, sorry, I'm distracted by a phone call in the background there. Um, the goblin universe was, I first saw that used in a, there was a Bigfoot book from the 1970s and it was written by a Smithsonian scientist. I'm trying to remember his name. I'm going to blank on it now, but he actually used it to describe like all the weird stuff that tends to be related to Bigfoot, which he didn't really want to talk about. And he just said, that's, that all comes from the goblin universe. And I thought, well, that's, that's a really neat term. And I used that in my first book as this kind of the idea that things were, were kind of coming from the goblin universe. But, uh, um, I kind of stopped using it as as it's it, that seems like a defined place. It seems like there's a place called the Goblin Universe, and that's where all these things come from. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I, I'd like to keep it more 
uh, abstract than that. So I think the other, which is, I've borrowed that from the guys on Where Did the Road Go, and I don't know specifically where they got it. They might have gotten it from Patrick Harper, yeah. uh, but, I'm, but I'm not sure. Um, so I just started using that because it just feels more, it feels better, I think, to describe all this stuff. I, th- I think it is all related, but I don't know, you know that it's all coming from one specific place necessarily. I got the I, I've heard the term before from Jerome Clark in one of his books about the the unexplained. The other or the goblin universe? Uh the goblin universe. Mm-hmm. Where he talks about Bigfoot and he talks about how in the western part of the United States you have where the they say that this could be the hairy hominid that is a natural creature, but the further east you go you descend into the goblin universe. And that's, yeah. the, that's the first place I had heard it from. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think, uh, Ron Murphy has a, a book, I think called the goblin universe or something, something to that effect. It has goblin universe in the title. And, uh, he had a podcast as well called, um, goblin, goblin universe. So it, it, it's been this term that's been floating around. I, I know since the early seventies, um, it's a good one. I mean, I don't, I, I, I like the idea of it, I guess, but uh, the other feels just stranger to me and less defined. Right. right. Yeah, I think that's a better terminology. And and I, I'm I'm now to the point, um, and really, this is this probably comes in the next book, the one I'm writing with Josh. But uh, I'm I'm willing to argue this point of of Bigfoot being a a hairy hominid anywhere. I, th- I think it's something very weird, no matter where you go. And if, uh, if you look into it deeply enough, it's going to get weird. Yeah. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. I think that's definitely true that you've got this, um, weirdness to every Bigfoot encounter. Well, you know, the, the people that, that are fairly insistent that it's a natural animal are like hunters who just happen to see it in the woods, you know, walk by or, or even, you know, kill a deer or something or people who see it crossing the road, you know, as they're driving a car, these are the people that are like, nope, it's a real creature. Absolutely. hundred percent. It's like an animal. But the, the people who have had multiple encounters with them, who've had them come around their house around their property or who have, you know, for whatever reason they've started to interact with them, uh, you know, feeding them or, or whatever, these people, very quickly will will get very things will get very weird for them and they'll they'll uh come back and say yeah i don't think it's i don't think it's a monkey in the woods so uh it's and it's it's easy to forgive someone and i you know i think when people do see them they're absolutely you know they're as physical as you and me when when they see them so it's they can be totally forgiven for thinking they're an animal i you know i I absolutely but uh, when you look at all the other data there's something weirder going on. Plus there's nothing in the fossil record that looks like them. That's true. That's very true. Uh, Real quick, a little recap of beyond the seventh gate for some people that may have just coming into hearing you for the first time. Sure. What did you talk about basically in that book? Well, the first half of that book was, it was devoted to sort of debunking this set of urban legends about, this uh, closed road called Toad Road in the area. And uh, there was this crazy sort of B-movie horror story that popped up about the area post-internet uh, time 
about there being seven gates of hell there and, and an insane asylum that burned down and and all the victims of the insane asylum were killed in the fire and those that weren't were killed by townspeople in the woods around the place. There's no town around the place, by the way. It's a rural place. I don't know where these townspeople were, were coming from uh, to, to kill the, the residents. But in any case, I proved that wrong very early on. And, and the, the people who, who I believe made up that story quickly changed that story to, the, to there being a, a doctor, a mad doctor who kept patients in his mansion that burned down in the same area. And that from there, the, the story was the same. In both stories, the, the sort of town fathers of York erected seven gates to keep people away from the ruins of the, the mansion or the, the insane asylum. And the story went that as you pass through each gate, things would get stranger and stranger and no one ever returned from the seventh gate. And, uh, it's, it's a load of hooey. Like I said, it's, 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 a. <laughs> It's a post-internet creation. There are some things, unfortunately, that, that kind of made it stick. There was a doctor who lived right there at the end of Toad Road, unfortunately, for, for his legacy. And he did have a gate outside of his house. And uh, because of that, I think it, it helped all this kind of get tied up and, and you know made it seem more real to people. But uh, he was uh, not anyone who worked with uh patients with with mental issues at all he was a heart specialist um he he was a veteran of both world wars he did charity work for the the poor and aged around the area he wasn't this mad doctor in any way shape or form there were these some of the ghost story books say that um he had collections of of toad statuary all over his house and all over the gate and stuff well i was able to find pictures of his house uh, um at the historical society, finally, I, I, I hit upon them. I found the right folder where they were, and there's no such thing around his house. It's just it's another bit of nonsense. Um, so, unfortunately for that poor guy, he did get bound up in the story, but uh, th- that really wasn't the story. What I did find is like weird stuff was happening out there. Like people did report weird stuff, but none of it seemed to have anything to do with ghosts of insane asylum patients or anything like that. And a lot of it seemed like it was cryptid activity from its description. So I started pursuing that line, and I I found that I think that's probably uh, more what was going on out there as opposed to uh, any sort of, you know, insane asylum fire, which there there was never an insane asylum there. So that's impossible. You've done your best to dispel these myths, but do you still hear them a lot around town? Oh yeah, I'll I'll have people come up to me, like I'll do a book signing at a at a paranormal convention or something, and I'll have people come up to me and tell me they've been through the seven gates, and they've seen <laughs> and they've seen the ruins of the insane asylum, and I just look at them like, no, you haven't, you know, and they're like, and they'll insist, they'll, they'll absolutely insist they've seen it, and I said, well, I don't know where you were, but it's it's not on Toad Road, yeah. And, and it gets even crazier. Like some people will tell you, well, you have to be there on a full moon to see the gates. Otherwise, you won't see them. And then other people will say, well, no, you have to be there on full moon on Friday the 13th. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> you know, like how many of these little rules do you, you, know, do you have to make? Um, there, there, there's just not seven gates there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to, if that hurts anyone's feelings, but there isn't and there never was. But there is one. There was one was gate, one. yes, and and through uh, all my gate debunking, I uh, 
I got contacted by people, and these are older people, and th- these are people I like to talk to about the area because there's no influence of insane asylums and mad doctors on them. They went out there before the internet, and I, I got contacted by a few people, and they're, you know, hey, there was a gate there. And uh, so I had to kind of correct that in the new book. I was like, okay, there was a gate. There was a big iron gate there. And actually, sadly, it led to that doctor's house. But uh, it was some place that people went to uh, supposedly experience spooky stuff. Like, uh, you know, even in as late as the, or as early rather, as in late 1950s. Hmm. And you, you, uh, it had a name associated with it. Like it's called like Harbeth Gate. Yeah, it was really like this was a, just a weird out of nowhere stories. Some guy just called me. He like I think it was like eight nine o'clock one night. I get a call, and uh, oh no, I got he called my Google Voice number because I, I have a separate number um, for uh, sightings and stuff. If people want to do Bigfoot reports and everything, he called that number said I want to talk to you about Toad Road, and left his phone number. So I called him back, and. Uh, he started t- telling me all these stories about going to the area, and uh, he said, you know, there was a big, big gate up there. And I'd, w- one woman had already kind of t- taken me to task for it. I was like, yeah, I know. I didn't get that in the book. And he said, uh, he said I used to go to that gate all the time. It, it, it had Harbeth written on it. And he says, what do you think that means? And I said, I, dude, I don't know. <laughs> I have no clue. I said, maybe it's the maker of the gate. And he said, I remember he got like real, like he was chiding me. He wasn't being like a jerk, but he's like, oh, you're not, I thought you were good at research. You're not good at research. And it kind of irked me a little bit because uh, I do a lot of research. And uh, before we got off the phone that night, I remember he called me from Florida. So I, so I think he, well, he, he did. He used to live in the area and he retired to Florida. And he told me some other, it's just some other local stories and so forth. Uh, none of them particularly paranormal, just more like local history. But be- before we got off the gate, he, he said, I want to tell you something. There's a, there's a farm out there called Avalon. And I want you to know that it's not named after, the, you know, the Avalon, the place of, of legend or anything like that. It, yeah. it was two people. It was Ava and Lon. And I said, okay. And I, I had no clue why he told me this. And then he, he kind of hung up. And I'm I'm like racking my brain all night. I'm I know I was driving my wife crazy because I was like like what could Harbeth mean and what does that mean and something about it that was like there's it sounds familiar it sounds familiar. And at some point in the in the night, I I realized I looked I looked at my notes and I said, well, the doctor's name was Harry Belknap and his wife's name was Lisbeth. So it's it's Harold Belknap and Lisbeth. It's it's Harbeth. And it just clicked, and I was like, wow, that, that totally makes sense. So I called him back the next day and said, uh, you know, hey, I figured it out. And he goes, oh, you are a good detective after all. And then he says, uh, you don't believe any of that spooks nonsense about the place. So, well, yeah, I get a lot of witnesses, and I don't have any reason to doubt them. He says, oh, that's all nonsense. Then he tells me a story about a ghost cat that <laughs> climbed onto his bed one night. So it's all nonsense when it's everybody else's spooks, but for him, I guess it was uh, right. it was real. We've definitely but I, heard that one before. Yep. <laughs> and uh, well, I think everybody has something. You know, if you push them, everybody's got something a little weird. Yeah, yeah. I listened to those strange familiars you did with uh, Clint Granberry, where I guess that he runs that some he runs some like 
conservative talk radio show or something that he's a producer of. He's a, yeah, he's a producer. Yeah. And like you guys, they had these random callers and y'all were asking them or they, they, they said, they said, Oh uh, no, I never had anything happen to me, but you know, there was this one time, <laughs> Yeah, you know, hundred <laughs> percent yeah. like every, and we didn't even like, I didn't have time to put all the calls on there that the, the radio show would have been, you know, two hours longer or the podcast rather would have been two hours longer than it was if I put all the calls, but a hundred percent, everybody had had something. I think it's up. Except that one woman who said, Bigfoot's a felon. I think Bigfoot's a felon. <laughs> <laughs> he's, just, but, he's, a, he's just a really good felon that runs across country. and <laughs> They've never but, caught him. <laughs> but she grew up in the same area I did, like yeah. like a couple miles from where I grew up. Like, here's this random woman. So, y- right. yeah, she didn't have anything weird, but had this total, like, synchronicity where, where we grew up in the in the same neighborhood, literally. The, the same little rural farming neighborhood. That was weird in and of itself, is yeah, just the it, synchronicity. The first person that you all picked up, and it was sweet, somebody... Sweet. Yeah, I highly recommend people listening to that sh- to to those shows because I mean it's just interesting just to hear just random people talk yeah. about their experiences. Yeah, and we were I mean, I don't know. Clint and I we get along real well and uh I'm trying to uh to uh push him into uh, coming on on a more regular basis and just doing that. Just let's just taking random callers and seeing what happens. But yeah. uh but we'll see. I mean, obviously, he's got he's got his own podcast and a and a day job, you know. Right, right. You you talk about in the book, kind of the uh, we were talking about the Iron Gate. So you go into some things about the, kind of the significance of iron ore. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that it's huge in the supernatural. If you go back to you know this is this is Josh Cutchin territory, but uh, if you go back to the fairy stories, that's that was one of the ways to keep yourself safe from excuse me from the fae and and uh to keep your child safe and cold iron was the you know that was the big uh the big uh ingredient for for things to keep the fae away and you find that in horseshoes and and cold iron and i didn't know this until i did a uh we did a episode of strange familiars i didn't i just thought cold was a sort of adjective for iron but uh, cold iron specifically means iron worked by human hands so it wouldn't be like raw iron out of the ground. This would be something something that is worked by human hands. So uh, cold iron, you know, if you put scissors or, or, you know, an iron poker or something in the crib with your baby, you could protect him from the fay and so forth. And the, the neat thing about Toad Road is, you know, on one side you had this iron gate, this big gate with Harbeth on it. By the way, I never got to ask that guy if he was dropping me a hint when he said that Ava and Lon thing, because I couldn't find his information. Like it was a days later that I went, what the heck? Like, was he, <laughs> was he giving me a, a clue with that? And then I lost, like I deleted his, his voicemail thinking, I, you know, I, I don't need this. And then I could never uh, get in touch with the guy. Cause I wanted to ask him like, what's, you know, were you tr- testing me? Cause that's what it seemed like in the end. It seemed like he knew what Harbeth meant. You know, that's why he said that Ava and Lon thing. But anyway, so it there's a, it could have been your future self. Wow. <laughs> Just throw that out there, you know. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I love that idea, actually. I absolutely love that idea. Um 
Wow, now I have to fulfill that destiny. (laughs) You have to remember to call yourself in the past now. (laughs) From Florida. I've got zero interest in moving to Florida, but we'll see. Um, Maybe maybe my hot young girlfriend will drag me there (laughs) after I retire. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) Did you hear my lovely wife? We heard her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're gonna we're gonna get her. uh, If she's cool to do it, we're gonna do a Patreon a little bit about the broken circle about a true crime thing after we do this interview. So. She'll said so come over for that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, but uh, yeah, there's, so there's iron on both sides. There's an iron furnace on the other side, an old iron furnace. That's a like pre revolutionary war era iron furnace. That's on the other side of uh, toad road. So it had this kind of iron on both sides that, that kind of defined it, which I find is very, very interesting uh, as far as uh, all the supernatural things that happened there. So talking about Toad Road, uh, first of all, the the origin of the name is interesting. Yeah. Now, if you, if you ask ten different local historians, you'll get ten different answers on that. And uh, most of the there's like local historians who will absolutely come out and say there no one knows why it's called that. And uh, when people say that, it kind of it drives me a little crazy because somebody knows somebody knew at some point and. Uh, in the first book, I thought like there, there is, you can find old newspaper articles that describe roads as toad roads around here. And that, that was just like in the spring when the, you know, the spring rains come and stuff. And sometimes you'll see a bunch of toads crossing the road. They'll actually say, Oh, that's a, that's a toad road. So I originally thought it must've been that, but then I found that, uh, this road was the, the tow path for, uh, the Cadores Creek, it runs right parallel to the Cadores Creek. Cadores Creek comes out of York. It was navigable water. It's it's uh, really almost a river. And um, they sail barges out of York in it, but it's not quite deep enough for real big ones. So they had to have a towpath. So Toad Road was the tow road for these barges. And I think that's probably where the name comes from. Although I did get a call from another lady who had another theory as to... Uh, the origin of the name. That is interesting that, uh, how that would come toe to toad. And then, yeah, the, I, then the statues of the toads too was, that was an interesting thing too. Yeah. Which never, I, again, that's, that's just something somebody came up with. Yeah. I don't know who or why, because I did like, I did find, uh, there's Dr. Belknap had bought this old building. It had been there for a long, long time and he, um, had it fixed up. He had, he had additions put on and had it really fixed up and made it really nice. So I found all these pictures of his house and not a one showed any kind of, any statue at all, much less a statue of a toad. And is there a toad man that people talk about? Yeah, that's the other. So I, I got a call again. I get these late night calls from these old folks. I love it by the way. like, this lady called me at midnight and uh, I don't know exactly how old she was. I'm just guessing from her voice. She was in her seventies, but uh, she said, yeah, I used to, I used to go down on toad road and, and most everybody talks about that gate. Uh, these days they'll talk about either those imaginary gates or there's a, there's just a gate that, that kind of closes off the road. Cause it's a, it's a 
it's no longer uh, you can't drive it or anything, and it's private property. Or they'll talk about that gate, or they'll talk about the old iron gate. They're they're talking about everything on the south side, and she didn't say a word about that gate. She said was worried about the uh, so the big worry was down in the darkest part of the road, which is really it drops down uh, as it gets closer to the Susquehanna River. Uh, and closer to Cazorra's Furnace, it goes down into this kind of hollow, and it gets real close to the creek. And she said, you had to be worried in there because of the toad man. And I thought she was talking about that Dr. Belknap again. I thought she was calling him the toad man, because in the ghost story books, it says he collected toads and had the toad statues and stuff. But something about the way she said it, before like we got off the phone, I was like, no, wait a minute. You, what do you mean toad man? And she said, don't you know about the toad man? And I was like, well, you tell me. And then she said, "It's it's what it sounds like. It's this toad creature. It's like <laughs> it's like a man that looks like a toad." And she's like, "It lives in the in the creek down there." And she said, "It would come out at night." And she described it very convincingly. Described a flat tire she had down in there uh, in the early 1970s, I believe she said it was, and how frightened they were because they wanted to get out of there before the toad man came. And she said that you know it was they, she was terrified of this toad man. So uh, and then she said, and that's how the road got its name. Now I I don't think so. I really think it's the towpath is a way it got its name. But uh, I do find it interesting that there's a there is a toad man now associated with Toad Road. That's crazy. <laughs> it is. And then I, I had found an old newspaper article from 1905 that described a fish man, and this was like. <laughs> Um, eight miles north of Toad Road, so it's not far yeah. at all. And uh, I think it's like like it's weird enough to have a Toad Man, but then so this is the article from 1905 from the Wilkes Bar Record. I'll just read it. Strange animal alarms residents along the Susquehanna. Fish walks like a man. York, Pennsylvania, October 22nd. People residing along the river midway between Cly and Goldsboro are mystified and some alarmed over the sight of a strange creature that has its abode in the Susquehanna. Thus far, but two men and their wives have seen the thing. As it was seen in broad daylight, more credence is given to the story than would be if it had been seen at night when people are more prone to see things. The strange creature, whether fish or animal, is described as being large as a man. When seen, it came up out of the water, erect like a man, and is described as looking like a man without arms. Those persons who have seen it declare that they are not the victims of an optical illusion. So that's from 1905. That's not been reprinted anywhere, but in it's in my uh, Pennsylvania Bigfoot book. I have an appendix with just other weird creatures. Yeah, it's in that, and it's in this book. I'm absolutely sure this woman didn't read anything about this fish man. So, I mean, are, is a fish man and a toad man the same thing? I don't know. You know, they're both presumably amphibious, but it, they sound kind of alike, and they're not far from each other as far geographically where people had seen these things. Yeah, it's funny because I was going to say that sounds sort of uh, Lovecraftian, but if it was from 1905, that would have predated his true stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well, there are these, like, frog, amphibious kind of creatures in folklore. I mean, uh well, there's a Loveland Frogman in, in Ohio, so we, we do have some in the United States that people have seen multiple times. But uh, there's these creatures in, like, Slavic folklore, uh, Hasterman, uh, which I, I think is probably where Lovecraft got the name Haster from, uh, if you want to talk about Lovecraftian. And they were these amphibious kind of uh, river spirits. They were covered in green hair, and they had the the 
crazy thing is they're described as having both frog and fish-like features. They kind of look like a frog covered in green hair, but they, the one description had them with fish tails and the other with uh, gills. So they do have kind of both frog and fish features, these, these things from uh, Slavic folklore. So as you know, it sounds completely wacky, but I'm at the point where I don't know this, the, the weirder stuff gets, the more interested I, I guess I am in some ways. Jim, did you happen to hear our show a couple of shows ago with uh, Cisco Murdoch and Steve Stockton? Did you, I heard, that. I heard uh, probably the first half. I, the way I listen to podcasts, and no one should be offended by this, I love podcasts, and they. Uh, I wasn't sleeping for a better part of a year, and I started listening to podcasts, and they, they helped me fall asleep. So I do not fall asleep on people's podcasts because they're boring. I fall asleep because I, I love podcasts, and it's the only way I can get to sleep sometimes. I do the so same, I the first, I do the same I thing. The <laughs> so she talked about a story where she was with her mom, and she was a... I think she was a teenager and they were driving through the dismal swamp in Virginia and something just comes out of the swamp and just like they thought it was like a bear or something, but it's kind of started morphing on them and it kind of sounds a little similar to what you kind of just talked about. Yeah. I mean, see, this is where you get into the, the, the really weird stuff and the cryptozoologists with the capital C, they get really uncomfortable right, with this kind of stuff because, uh, I mean, I don't know why they so readily accept Dogman. Dogman can't exist to, like as a natural creature as far as I'm <laughs> concerned, like anatomically. like, yeah. But they're all over Dogman. They're, they're fine with that. But then they start like, well, he's the know. latest craze. Yeah, yeah. But uh, like just the anatomy of something with, with hocked legs being upright it, it doesn't make sense at all plus i i heard one uh, person say that if you put a dog head on top of a upright human body like it, it wouldn't be able to breathe right like it just like the physics of it just don't even work not to mention that dogs are pretty evolutionarily excellent creatures you know they, they uh, they've kind of evolved in this you know the way they need to be and uh, the idea that they would evolve hands and and upright walking is just you know why yeah. Like what? What would be the reason for that? But in any case, uh, the, these weird creatures tend to, you know, that's where people start getting either real uh, tweaky about it and saying, "Well, that, that, that must have been," you know, those people are crazy. But people who see a, a giant ape in the woods, they're not crazy. They're okay. Or they'll just everything's a Bigfoot, and then people were mistaken. You get that a lot. Like where somebody will describe they saw a, you know, they saw a lizard man or something, and they're like, "Well, you saw a Bigfoot. You just were confused," you know. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's there, there's more going on. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and my, my point is, is like, so you know, more people in the United States believe in ghosts than believe in Bigfoot. Yeah, people already think Bigfoot believers are crazy. Like most, like literally, most of the United States thinks they're crazy. So why try to like? act like we're mini scientists like like science is never like we're not in in uh in science as far as mainstream science goes this is something we're out there we are out on the outer edges so we need to look at all this stuff and we need to if you're going to take one person's word that they saw a giant hairy ape and and say well i'm not going to take the person's word who saw a frog man then i think you're being kind of intellectually dishonest i I think there's a real push for like legitimacy like they really want to be taken seriously. Yeah. They really believe they believe that, and in some ways, rightly so, 
that the discovery is right around the corner. Like, right. like we know, well, like, like I hear people talk about, and it kind of drives me crazy. Like they apparently know all the habits of Bigfoot and they know <laughs> like, you know what Bigfoot does on a daily basis That's- and they commune with Bigfoot, but we haven't actually discovered Bigfoot. <laughs> that's, that's the thing that kills me whenever I watch a documentary or I hear like a podcast where someone's like, well, we used uh, such and such as bait because that's their favorite food. It's like, yeah. yeah. Uh, they like KFC. You know? like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, and donuts you, is their favorite. You, you get these folks who, uh, <laughs> who, and I call it like verbal Rube Goldberg devices. They would come up with this. So, Many, many, many Bigfoot trackways walk off into the middle of a field and stop. Right. And they come up with the craziest explanations for why this happens. My favorite is that Bigfoot turned around and tiptoed backwards through his own tracks because he would have to tiptoe because if he just walked in his own tracks, he'd mess them up. So, no, he he tiptoed backwards in his own tracks so as not to mess them up. Here's the top of – if you believe them and it's a natural animal, this is an absolute top-of-the-food chain predator with nothing to fear. Nothing to fear at all. And – I mean, a chimpanzee can tear you apart. This thing can definitely tear you apart. (laughs) Exactly. And you you want me to believe they're tiptoeing backwards in their own track. For what reason? Like, if you really wanted to make a confusing trackway, you'd walk backwards in the track so people couldn't tell whether you were coming or going. That's the way you make a confusing trackway. It's it's completely bizarre the stuff they come up with uh, to to sort of explain away this the bizarre Bigfoot behavior. And they'll say, like. uh, I've been told many, many times, because I'll bring up the three-toed tracks a lot, and uh, I've been told, oh, well, that's just Pennsylvania and Boggy Creek, and and the ones in Boggy Creek were faked. And it's absolutely not true. Three-toed tracks have been found all over the place. I I found a book uh, from 1976. It's never been reprinted. It's Al Berry. He was one of the guys that was uh, with Ron Moorhead up in the uh, recording the Sierra Sound, if you know what they are. Yep, yep. And... uh, I don't know Al if Bear- these guys do, though. I don't know if they know what the Sierra sounds no. are. No. Uh, so, so a group of guys recorded these, which sounds like crazy, like they call it samurai chatter. Yeah, it's um, weird. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. They, were, they were having like presumably, you know, Bigfoot activity. A couple of them did see did see creatures, but um, and they recorded this, this, you know, these vocalizations, which uh, are apparently an unknown language. I, uh, crypto linguist has heard them and, and, you know, he says it's a language. He can't tell you what they're saying, but he can, he, there's like, you know, he's the expert, not me. Right, it's got the there's right kind of a, patterns to be an actual language. And, exactly. Yeah. The, the morphisms or whatever. But in any case, Al Berry was one of the guys with them and he wrote this book in 1976. It's never been reprinted. And he talks about three toed tracks all over California and Oregon. So this idea that they only appeared in Pennsylvania and Boggy Creek goes out the window. Absolutely. Uh, the other stuff Al Berry talks about, interestingly, is like poltergeist activity in the cabin they were having up there. Uh, uh-huh. And and the fact that they could rub their feet on the ground and make orbs appear. You know, so. But totally it, not related. That's a exactly. to- totally different thing. You know, <laughs> yeah. we're not. Well, he, he actually yeah. didn't say that. You know, he, he was, Al Berry, refreshingly, in 1976, was talking about this stuff. And totally saying, you know, he thought it was related somehow. Oh, good. Yeah. 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 Good. But, but you know, people since him have, have dismissed all this stuff. And like I said, the, you know, and the three-toed tracks almost look goofy. 
they they almost look like like somebody put on rubber feet or something. You know, they don't <laughs> but they're you know, there people have seen these creatures, you know, walk by and basically they've left these three-toed goofy-looking tracks. And there was a uh there was a zoologist from Baltimore in the 1970s and it's the best quote and it it says, you know, I think he was saying it dismissively, but I really feel like it says something about the phenomenon. He says it's it's almost like they forgot to finish the feet. <laughs> and to me, it's that's brilliant. It's like, right. you know, whatever this was, whatever, however this manifested, it's like they forgot to finish the feet. Yeah. Well, it's this whole idea to me that makes me think about how Bigfoot, like, I mean, I've heard Josh talk about, we're kind of off on a tangent here, but I've heard Josh talk about how maybe there's a real animal called Big, that, that, that is in the woods and mm-hmm. I mean, I love Josh to death, but I think that's way too complicated. I, I, uh, I think Josh, uh, <laughs> after, after the book we're writing together now, yeah. I think, uh, you know, I'll give you a little inside. I, I think, uh, he's, he's going to have more and more trouble saying that as time goes it, on. It, it just makes me think that just, you know, this is a motif in a lot of different cultures and it's a motif now in popular culture which I feel that like popular culture is like an extension of folklore now, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that whatever it is expects, whatever you are expecting to see, that's what you're going to see. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, folklore today was probably, you know, the popular culture of its time anyway. It's things change with, uh, you know, culturally it's, and it's like, you know, I'm a folk musician as, as well. And, and, traditional folk songs change. It's, it's a big game of whispering down the lane. Right. So things change a little bit. And um, that's just the folk process. That's what happens. And things change culturally. And uh, I think that's what happened with these with these old reports. I mean, I, I think folklore, a lot of it was cryptid sightings back in the day. And they've just kind of morphed into these, you know, this what we think of as fairy tales now, you know, but, uh, they sure are describing things that look and act like, like the things we're seeing today. Well, let's talk about this, uh, getting back to toad road, um, the car is being lifted and I didn't think about this, but someone that is a fan of strange familiars and where did the road go? And this show pointed out that we have been, we mentioned a couple of times, quite independently because Nick Redfern talked about it and a guy that a local guy here, Christopher Coleman talked about these like weird entities that hang out in like lover's lane kind of things. Mm -hmm. And basically Nick was talking about in reference to like uh, feeding on sexual energy, but you have uh, some stories in the book about like people going to toad road and, the car is being lifted and having these experiences. It's very similar to things that we've talked about. Yeah. So there were, these were three separate accounts and none of these people knew each other. So the, the, the one that the people said if something was pushing down on the back of their car, like pushing on their, their trunk or something, these are all from like early seventies. So these are big, heavy cars and they kept looking out and they, they couldn't see what it was. And they said it happened several times. And then they finally decided to leave. And then I, I was at uh, another paranormal convention. A guy came up, saw I had a book on Toad Road, and he starts telling me the story. And he said he drove out there with his girlfriend, and they had parked, and they were there for a while. And 
he said something lifted up the back end of his car completely off the ground and dropped it. Damn. And, uh, yeah. Huh. Like did it a couple times. And we're talking was, like 1970s cars here, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like heavy cars. That's what that's. Yeah. And you know, the guy said like, you know, and they're looking out, they did not see anything. They said they couldn't see a thing. What was doing it. And, uh, you know, he said his, his girlfriend started crying and stuff. So he just, you know, tore out of there as fast as he could. And the third one was, uh, so there's a fellow in the first book that, uh, I just found a newspaper article and in the, uh, in the article, it just said he was attacked by a hairy monster in the area. And, uh, I really wanted to find him. I couldn't find him in time for the first book. Couldn't find him anywhere. And I happened upon an old phone book that had his name in it and I wasn't sure it was him. But I said, I'm going to give, give it a shot. I'm going to write this guy a letter, like with a stamp, you know, snail mail. And uh, wrote him a letter, put my phone number in there and said, I'd like to talk to you about this incident. If, if you would be interested in talking to me, you know, please call me. And about two weeks later, I got a call. And he said, you know, I never thought I'd be talking to anybody about this. Hmm. And uh, repeated phone calls. I had to drag the story out of him literally over you know, at least six months. I call him once a month and, uh, he didn't like talking to me very much. He didn't like talking about the story. He would, he would change the subject multiple times in our conversation. I'd have to always steer it back because he just didn't like talking about it. And he said, every time after he talked to me, he'd have nightmares for two weeks. His girlfriend hated me. She hated when I called cause you know, he, he'd wake up with these nightmares and stuff. But uh, he he finally told me the story. He said, "Well, you know what they put in the newspaper wasn't wasn't the story. He, the newspaper just said he was sent to the hospital with scratches on his face. He was sent to the hospital for a week, and uh, he had gone out there and parked his car and tried to restart it, and it wouldn't start. And you find this with Bigfoot and UFOs yes. and all this other stuff, mm-hmm. the, the 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 drain battery thing or or whatever it is, and." Uh, he said something came up and kept brushing against his car and he couldn't see it, but it kept brushing against it over and over again. And he was there for hours before he said, well, you know, I got to get, I can't stay here all night. I got to go. He gets out of the car and just starts running. And he said he ran right into something. And, and the way he described it says, I ran into a big hairy monster. And, uh, when he did, it beat him down. Like it, it he had a, brain injury he had memory loss temporary memory loss from from it when he went back to high school he wasn't uh, he in a coma too um no but he did have like i said he did have a traumatic head injury and um when he went back to high school he had to have someone like help him from room to room he was 18 when this happened still in high school and uh he didn't even remember where his classes were he told me he, he said it was horrible so i never like after a while, he just stopped taking my calls. Like my, he, hmm. he'd let my calls go to, uh, an answer machine and never call me back. And then, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to torture the guy. I just wanted to get the story. So if, if he's done talking about it, I'm, I'm not going to press him on it anymore. Um, so I never found out if he was found on the ground or if, if he was able to pick himself up and get to a house or what, but somehow he got to the hospital he told the police where his car was. They went back to retrieve his car and it started right up for them. No problem. Just started on the first try. And they said when they found it, the back door was open and uh, there was the only thing that was missing was a, a knife with a red handle. He, he said that was the only thing missing from his car. So something with hands opened the back door, you know, it could have been a person, but 
you know, there's just not that many people out there at that, you know, that time, especially. And, uh, at that time, you know, that, that year in 1973 and that time in the night or early morning as the case may be. So, yeah, he was missing a, a, a knife with a red handle and, uh, and that was that, but he, he never said Bigfoot. He said monster. And I, I brought it up and mm-hmm. I said, do you think it could have been a Bigfoot? And he got really quiet. He said, you know what? I never thought about that. Maybe that's what it was. So hmm. who knows? But, uh, the, the police told him he, first they said, you, you ran into a man that was dressed in skins. And he said, no way. This is a man was way too big. And then they said, well, you ran into a cow and that's, uh, I think that's what he said. They put down on the, the actual police report, yeah, I was which I tried to ask to get. you about I, that. Yeah. I filed freedom of information act requests for that and they just don't fill them. And, uh, you know, I, people's like, well, what they have to we'll try telling that to a local police department. They do what they want to do. And, uh, if they're, you know, I can't make them, you know, if I was a big news organization, I guess I could, you know, hire a lawyer or something and, and make them fill the request, but was, they just don't, they don't do it. I was listening to a, another podcast, uh, an interview with, uh, Chuck Juzukowski. Do you know who I'm talking about? He writes uh, about the 37th parallel stuff that we actually okay. kind of touched on on the last episode. But uh, he was talking about this, like it was a, a supposed Bigfoot encounter where this like guy and a girl were out there and uh, they got attacked by Bigfoot and like the, like the Bigfoot ripped the girl in half and the uh, police <laughs> uh, put it down as a uh, bear attack. Yeah. Typical bear attack, ripped her in half. Yeah. Yeah. I I had it. I mean, bears could do some damage. Have you ever seen The (laughs) Revenant? I would. (laughs) I had an ex-police officer on one time and I I was talking with him about this and and he said, you know, it's not a it's not a vast conspiracy. He said, it's just you don't want to put in your report that someone was attacked by a Bigfoot. He said, it's just going to cause you. He's like, this is somebody's career. You don't understand. Right. You're going to get laughed at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He said, he said, they just know it's going to make problems. So they, you know, he said, that's why they put down stuff like, like that. He said, it's not a vast conspiracy. Like a lot of people be like, oh, the police know about it and they won't. No, it's just that, you know, it has to do with making their lives easier and, and making their careers uh, a little smoother. Wasn't there a lady in the book that said that she encountered a gray out there? That was at uh, Site 7. Site 7, so, okay. So Site 7 is the place we talk about on Strange Familiars. It's not super far away from Toad Road, and it's very similar. It's it's a, it's an, a road, a formerly public road that's been closed down. So uh, uh, I put it, the Site 7 stories in the in the new book because it's kind of, you know, it's same area, same same kind of deal. What did she encounter? I mean, that's what she described. She said yeah. she... Because we were, you know, we were talking and we were assuming Bigfoot and she said, you know, something ran behind my car and she's like, she said it wasn't hairy. She said it, you know, I hate to say it, but it looked like a gray alien. And uh, so, you know, that's kind of, that's how she described it. Hmm. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Site sevens. I mean, that's, you've had some weird experiences out there too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh. I mean, I, I think there's, I don't, I don't think it's Bigfoot there either, or it's Bigfoot end there as well. You know what I mean? It's, there's just something weird going on out there, um, or multiple weird things that, that are somehow related. 
Right. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the Orbs Howls and the Eerie Music. All right. That was another person who just called me out of nowhere. She was like just experiencing all this paranormal stuff and she just wanted somebody to talk to. And she found my number somewhere online and called me and she just started unloading with, you know, seeing these orbs and all this stuff. And she didn't mention where it was. It was only late in the conversation where she said, where I, well, I said, I said, where was this, where did all this happen? Was this all in one area? And she said, yeah, it was on trout run road. I went, Oh my goodness. Cause that, that's the road that leads right into toad road here. And I, you know, then I kind of said like, all right, let's go back over everything again. And, uh, she had been seeing, she she worked at night. She ran like a little animal rescue on a little farm there. And, uh, she would, you know, go into the barn at night and feed the animals and take care of them and so forth. And I think she had a day job. So she, she, uh, you know, kind of did most of the taking care of the animals at night. And uh, she kept seeing these these orbs, you know, going across the field. She saw a, a UFO that she, you know, said was kind of in a chevron shape. And uh, she heard, she was hearing screams. And again, she wasn't a Bigfoot person. She didn't know screams were like a Bigfoot thing. But she said she was hearing screams from the direction of Toad Road and and it just all this activity. And then she described this eerie music and it was the last thing she told me about. And it's usually the last thing anyone tells you about because it's, it sounds so crazy. And they describe this kind of angelic singing and it's, I've heard people describe it in relation to Bigfoot. Um, a lot of people say it's like the rarest sound associated with Bigfoot. Um, you can find it, you know, it's not a lot of people talk about it, but it's, it's out there. But a friend of mine had experienced it in Hex Hollow, uh, which is a, another kind of local haunted place here, um, in association with the orbs. He had seen some orbs. He was with his friends and, and heard this kind of angelic music associated with it. Um, so that's like, I want to check that one off my, uh, my list. I, I want to hear that, whatever that is. Um, I, I really want to record it, but so, yeah, I'd be satisfied with just hearing it. Maybe it's music of the spheres. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, I have no clue what to make of that. That's so bizarre. Yeah. I mean, that... <laughs> I, I don't, stuff like that kind of, like, is very disconcerting to me. I don't know why. Just, like, hearing some weird music. Well, I think I don't think I've ever heard of any kind of case like that where any kind of bizarre any 14 type of thing was accompanied by music. There's a, uh, actually in that Al Berry book I mentioned, he, he mentions, uh, I think he said it sounded like a, like Chinese or a Buddhist chanting. And this one Bigfoot was like kind of drumming and doing this like Buddhist chanting thing. And, uh, there's the, I think it's the, is it the Snell Grove Lake incident? The one that was up in Canada that they filmed, um, I'm not sure if that's that's what it was. It's the one when they filmed Mel- Meldrum was there. They did it for like one of the t- monster TV shows or whatever. And uh, they had experienced that around there, not when they were filming that, but they had, they had gone up at another time and had experienced that that kind of uh, singing. Like like guttural or like throat singing? No, this is more that, like that. An- like they describe that like angelic kind of, you know, ethereal kind of singing, okay. like re- really kind of pretty singing. 
So, and, and you'll, again, you'll find it here and there where, where people, you know, Bigfoot people will talk about it, but it's, it's, you know, as far as I know, it's, it's pretty, pretty rare. But that definitely has correlation with the Fey folk stuff, right? Because their music is such a part of that. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of the Fey folk, uh, this is a site seven incident, but you felt like you got led around you and James yeah, <laughs> got yeah. led around. Like what happened there? Uh, it was last fall. Um, we went in there and we, we kind of parked near the river and hiked in and it's, it's all uphill. It's actually a mountain. It's a very, very small mountain, I think, but I think it is considered a mountain. Um, so we hiked up this mountain and a fairly uneventful day until we turned around and I, I, I heard something in the weeds. I, I turned and looked. Just something made a little noise. I turned to my left and it, it was like real brushy, like thick brush area. And it looked like there was a guy wearing a 70s like sweatshirt, you know, like, like the kind of heather gray uh, sweatsuits he used to wear in the 70s with the hood up. Like, and I just caught a glimpse of it for a second, but it was, it was all gray. It was, you know, it wasn't huge. It was probably about my size or maybe even shorter. Hmm. And, uh, it quick, like turned to left and kind of dove into, turned to its left, my right, and kind of dove into the, the brush. And I never saw it again. And, uh, by the time I went, Whoa, by the time James turned, he didn't get to see it, unfortunately. So I don't know what that was. It maybe or maybe not. Like I don't know if that paced us out or not. I kept hearing stuff to the left, but it didn't seem like like when people talk about Bigfoot or these creatures pacing them out of the woods, they, they make a lot of noise. They they make themselves known. If this was doing that, it wasn't. Make, it certainly wasn't making a lot of noise. But there was more noise to our left. But uh, you know, we get down and and we have to. There's about a really about an acre maybe an acre and a half of, of woods you have to cross through from one trail to another. That's just game trails. And I, I mean, I'd done it before and it wasn't that much woods. I, I knew the direction we were going and we got lost for over an hour in this little strand of woods. And it was really bizarre. And I, I didn't know this was a thing. Like I just, I happened to mention, mention it offhand I think to Soraya and, and Josh said, dude, you got pixie lead. I was like, what, what? <laughs> and he's like, no, that's a thing where people get lost in areas, you know, and he said they can even hear people's voices and we couldn't hear people's voices, but like their friends' voices and stuff even, mm-hmm. and they're still lost. We couldn't hear voices, but we could hear traffic on the road. There's a road you cross under at one point and we could hear the traffic on the road and we still could, I mean, it was bewildering. Like I, I, we didn't, we weren't saying much, but I remember we were looking at each other like, what the hell is going on here? And, uh, we finally made our way out of there, but there, there's no way I should have taken us 10, 15 minutes to get through that at the most. And it took us you know, over an hour to, to get through that. It was, it was really, really freaky in a way. Jeez. And, uh, I'm glad James was with me because I don't know if I would have just gotten frustrated and sat down or something. I don't know what I would have done. Um, so, you know, that's, that was the weirdest part of that day. I, I didn't think about it much at the time because we had seen something. So I saw this thing. So I was more focused on like, Oh wow, we saw like another kind of grayish white thing there. And then, uh, but later on, when I think back, I was like, yeah, that was really, really weird. Cause there's no way it should have taken us that long to get through that. This woods. Also at site seven, that's where people talk about 
one of the rumors about it is that there's albinos living in the woods. That's the first thing that I was told. So I, I was asking this guy, he's a little bit older than me. And I went in toad road stories and he's like, I never, I never, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I was like, what? Really? Like, cause he's a, he collects ghost stories and stuff too. And he said, but I'll tell you about this other road. And he, he told me about site seven. And one of the things he told me was that there was this supposed family of albinos that lived in a shack there that would chase people out or whatever. And I asked him if he ever saw him. He said, he said, well, I caught a glimpse of him once. But, I, you know, he said, but they were there. They were definitely there. So, yeah, there's this, this weird albino rumor, which is I didn't put this together till till later on. that Like everything we see there is white or gray or light gray. Like everything we time we've seen something uh, and we, we say flashes, we don't mean flashes of light. They're like flashes of movement that, that uh, we've seen it. Um, uh, that fellow, that that woman who saw the gray creature, she described things the same, the same, this sort of flashes of movement, and they've been this kind of light gray and 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 white in color. Yeah, that's, and they also you talk about too, like they were, they would throw rocks at people. Yeah, that's the other thing the guy told me. Yeah. That's what really got me interested because yeah. that's a you know it's a Bigfoot slash paranormal thing. You know, it's, it's Bigfoot. It's also poltergeist. Um, but, uh, he said you park on that road and, and, uh, hobos, I believe he said would throw rocks at you from the woods. And I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, you can park there and these hobos would throw rocks at you. I said, well, what? Anybody ever see these hobos? He said, no, they were just in the woods. <laughs> So that's what, you know, then I was like, all right, now I'm, now I'm interested. Now there's, there's weird stuff going on here. I need to, I need to dig in and look into this. There's just random albino hobos living out there in the woods, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Is well, there any local history of like, a of isolates who just kind of went out there and, um, did their own thing or is there hermits? Did, yeah. Hermits or, oh, or we, we've or, got hermits. Yeah. We've got hermits. Or isolated but, groups of people from I know in the in the colonial days there was a lot of that. Oh yeah, I, well I mean not terribly far away we had you know the after cloisters and stuff, but they were more of a you know religious community that isolated themselves because they they believed the uh, the end was nigh. I think, um, but uh, yeah, I mean not that I know of necessarily groups of people, but we did have like some individual hermits, which is a uh, that's another great interest of mine. Cool. Old timey hermits. Huh. You're not going to go out there yourself, are you, Tim? You're not going to live in the woods. I mean, become a hermit. I'm, I don't think I can get my wife to go with me. <laughs> uh, I, I'd like to stay married, and I, you know, I do have kids, but maybe, maybe someday. And ransack campgrounds and stuff. I mean, the raccoons are already trembling in fear, so. <laughs> <laughs> What? I have seen I have seen so many raccoons live and dead since that. Like so many. It's it's insane. I've never seen so many raccoons in my life. Have any of them like pointed at you? <laughs> 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 We're watching you. <laughs> you killed my you killed my brother. <laughs> and your brother had rabies. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, I don't know what that is. And he, I think Josh told me, too. I, yeah, he, when he was on Strange Familiars, he said he's been seeing tons of raccoons ever since I told him that story. 
So uh, we've, we've, uh, we've activated the raccoons. Raccoon synchronicities. Yep. There's plenty of garbage for them to live on, so I don't think they're. It was yeah, it was, was it was actually funny because I was going to send this to you, but I forgot. Like a couple, like a day or so after, uh, I think we did the Skinwalker show where we talked about your raccoon experience. Uh-huh. Uh, I pull up right in front. I pull up right beside this like exterminator vehicle, and it's got a picture of a big raccoon on it. That's. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I have this strange familiars group on Facebook. People just constantly put up raccoon stuff. Like, okay, <laughs> all right. And then, you know, I, I had uh, somebody uh, comment on on YouTube, of course, because YouTube is the garbage island of the internet. Yes, and uh, say, oh, you're you don't even belong in the woods. You're afraid of a little old raccoon. It's like, <laughs> I, no. I, <laughs> I handled the raccoon. The raccoon wasn't the problem. The thing that freaked me out was all the weird synchronicities around the raccoon. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I had heard that show that you did with, uh, with, with Clint Granberry, uh, where you guys talked about the raccoon traps. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. the next day or two days or so later, I see you talking about getting attacked or, or killing a raccoon. And, <laughs> but yeah, it was nutty. And, and the, like all those synchronicities didn't, come to me at once like it was over the course of like a day or two as i'm thinking and clint told he's like man we were just talking about raccoons i was like what you know we were yeah i had forgotten i don't have a great memory <laughs> tim what has been at any of these sites what has been kind of like your most profound experience for you definitely the the skull that's the that's on the cover of the book the uh, the skull i found on toad road that was Really, really powerful and and jaw dropping for me. What happened to to you with the skull? So I was out there in March of 2017. I was hiking with a friend, and we had hiked maybe maybe half the road. It's only about three miles the whole road from end to end, uh, the closed part of it. And we, uh, for whatever reason, he he wanted to turn around. So we we walked. We started north, headed south, turned around, headed back north. And on the way out, there was a raccoon skull. It was right in the middle of the trail. And uh, I mean, I could have walked by it, but that would be unusual. I've, I've been collecting animal skulls as long as they don't have guts and gore on them since I was a little kid. I'm kind of tuned to them in the woods. Like I'm tuned to that color. My eyes will you, you know just kind of lock in on that. I usually don't miss them. But, uh, you know, I thought, well, I must have stepped over it. You know, it was right in the middle of the trail. I picked it up, put it in my pack, and I made plans with this guy to come back in three weeks. And three weeks came, and for whatever reason, he couldn't go. And I was like, well, I'm going to go by myself. I, I wanna, I'm weird. I like to hike the whole road. If I don't hike the whole thing, I, I feel like I haven't, I haven't done, I haven't completed it. Um, so I go back, and... I get to about, it was right about the place on the trail where I found the raccoon skull and I heard something up ahead just in the, in the brush, you know, just moving in the brush. I looked and I guess, I don't know, between 50, 75 yards away, something like that. Just something big. I can only tell you it was big. I I saw it for like a fraction of a second or maybe a second and it shot off. It was really, really big, bigger than anything that should be in the woods in York County. And uh, I had somebody tell me I saw an elk, which uh, that'd be amazing because we haven't had elk here in 200 years. So, 
if if I did see an elk, it was a very special elk, but it, it did not look like an elk. It looked wide. That's another thing I say. It looked quadrupedal. It didn't look like it was running on on two legs. But I can't tell you what it was. It was quiet and it was fast. And it was bigger and faster than anything I've ever seen in the woods. And it shot south on the road. Now, three weeks from March till April in southern Pennsylvania, you get a lot of growth. So what was a pretty easy hike before had become just nasty. I mean, there was thorns and you know, poison ivy and stinging nettle. And I was I ended up with ticks on me that day. I almost never get ticks. I, I got like four or five ticks that day. It was just horrible. And the, the trail was all muddy. Um, it's private property. Nobody should be in there. During hunting season, people you know do go in there. It's used for hunting. This isn't hunting season. Hunting season's over. This is in the you know April. Uh, and not being brave, it was not bravery. I just followed this thing, and it was like I was in a trance. And I just, I it went south, and I headed south after it. And I think I probably went for you know maybe maybe a half mile or so. And uh, maybe three quarters of a mile. I'm not sure, but no, not further than we had gone on the hike previously. Um, we had, we had gone further than this, you know, three weeks before. So what stopped me in my tracks and kind of snapped me out of this trance was at eye level, in the middle of the trail, impaled on a branch, was a perfectly clean deer skull. And uh, I had forgotten this until I was talking with Soraya, and you, you can actually see it in the picture, the photograph in the book. There's something placed like on top of the skull, like a little flower, a little piece of, of um, hmm. plant too, that's kind of balanced there. And I didn't think to keep that. It was almost placed at like where the third eye would be, uh, interestingly enough. But hmm. the, I, you know, I just sort of, I sort of brushed that off. I took pictures of it before I ever touched it. So it's, that's in the pictures um, in the book or in the one picture in the book. But uh, it, it snapped me out of this trance. And I, I was like, what the heck is this? Cause you know, yeah, a person absolutely could, a person could have put it there, but that means they brought a skull with them and hiked down in this nasty area where no one should be, and impaled it on a branch in the middle of the trail at eye level for what reason? Or they found a skull when they were down there and decided to put it there. I mean, it just seems the whole thing just seemed really, really bizarre and uh, really freaky. And and you know, some people ask me like, do you think that was a warning? especially Bigfoot people like, you know, you think that was a warning They're trying to scare you off. And I was like, I didn't would it for whatever it's worth. That's not the impression I got. The impression I got was, Oh, you like that little raccoon skull? Well, check this out. You're really going to like this. And, uh, I grabbed it. I it's, it's sitting in, in my, uh, my art room today. Um, but it was really kind of really a powerful moment. And the, uh, ever since then, I, I go on as many Bigfoot investigations as I can. I get called, you know, for locally, get called out and stuff. And ever since then, I'd say 70% is probably more, but I'll say 70% of the Bigfoot investigations I go on, I find skulls now. Um, it's completely bizarre. And I'm not, they're not like hidden under brush. I'm not digging around, crawling around looking for them. They're in prominent areas where I, I can see them easily. You feel like, something is interacting with you. I don't know. I I don't know what to say about that. I can only say ever since finding that skull, I find skulls. Like I said, I've been collecting since I was a kid. I've at least doubled, possibly tripled my skull collection in the past year with these things. 
I, you know, I don't know what this means. I don't know what this means at all. Um, yeah, I was just on Sasquatch Chronicles and, and Wes, the host was like, I wouldn't be taking those skulls home, but, uh, my whole house is, you know, there's there, my, my skulls have skulls. My daughter loves, she's into like the misfits and stuff. She loves it. She's like, I love it when my <laughs> friend asks me how many skulls we have. Cause I, cause I say inside or outside. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Cause my dad does that too. I mean, he doesn't, he probably doesn't have a, as large a collection, but he, uh, he does, he, he would walk a lot and, uh, hike and he'd bring skulls home because he's an artist and he would you know he would draw them and stuff too so. yeah they're i mean they're they're i just love drawing them and that's why yeah. i was originally getting them and you know i'm not like you know ed gein or something it's, it's, <laughs> in fact my wife will tell you i'm i'm a if there's any gore on them at all i'm like a wussy i'm like ew, i don't want that yeah. Yeah, she's, she'll actually pull she doesn't care she'll actually pull it off of them i'm like nah, nah i'm not gonna mess with that yeah, I'll com- just, completely like, clean yeah, yeah, I need them to be sun bleached. I'm I'm a wimp when it comes to that. Yeah. Well, uh, the book is titled "Don't Look Behind You," and you can find that on Amazon. If you look up Timothy Renner, all my books come up. Or you can look up "Don't Look Behind You." It's the one with the deer skull on the cover. And it's just uh, print right now, but there'll be a Kindle version soon. Yeah, I'll get the Kindle version out uh, eventually. It's uh, it takes me a little while. Well, I highly recommend it, and I highly recommend all your books, Tim. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I mean, this has been uh, – I always enjoy having you on. Yeah, um, anytime. I, I'm, I'm a, I am a conspiranormal fan. Thank you. Thank you. We are definitely a fan of you. We need Absolutely. to get you to do some artwork for us. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, man. Yeah. Do some, some creepy monster. <laughs> I can do that. All right, sir. We're going to go on to the Patreon section for our – for our patrons out there and uh, stay on the live for us, Tim. And we're going to be right. We'll be back to close out the show. It's pretty normal. So I wasn't here last week. Um, yeah, but, Rob has brain parasites. And I also so have brain why. parasites, so I'm slightly dumber than I was before. You think it's one of those amoebas? <laughs> yeah. Could be. Could have be. you been could using amoeba? Could be amoebic. Have you been using a neti pot? No. Does that, oh, is that man. bad? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, that happened down in uh, New Orleans oh, or God. in Louisiana, I think. Anything can that's, kill you these that's days. That's horrible, man. That's... <laughs> <laughs> so you want to think about that? <laughs> yeah, my my sister uses one, and I was like giving her a hard time, but she's like, "I only use distilled. But you're supposed to only use distilled water, like out of the jug, you know, from, right. from the store." So, but otherwise, you get an amoeba in your in your yeah. brain. Yeah. Brain amoebas, no good. Well, like you know, amoebas will they'll mess you up. Man. Isn't that a it's a, a dysentery. Dysentery, yeah. Isn't that yeah. an adolescent song? Amoeba. Amoeba. <laughs> good, good punk man. And you were talking to, <laughs> you talked to someone last night about intelligent design. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I did that. I did that by myself because he, um, 
both of you guys would be working at that time. Right. And you, and you really identify with. Yeah. Well, Dr. Randy Y song, um, they hit me up about coming on and I think we were supposed to do the interview sometime in October, but he had to cancel and I rescheduled the end of November. And, uh, he's actually in Michigan, by the way, Rob. Oh, like somewhere like in the middle or something. Somewhere in the middle or something. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> middle of the glove. Um, but, I mean, interesting interview, man. Interesting guy. I mean, he's a he's a nutritionist, and he's got a background in chemistry. And, I mean, I, I'm an intelligent design kind of guy. I'm not so much a creationist because I, I don't think that it just happened. But I'm also more... I guess if you had to, if I had to describe what I think is like, I'm kind of like an intelligent evolutionist in yeah, that yeah. I think that evolution, like it looks but I think like- that he's, he was saying that everything just kind of springs forth completed, completed, but he's not religious about it. It's, it's, it's kind of complicated and I'm, <clears throat> I didn't get far enough in the book to where I wanted to talk because there were, I wanted to talk about a lot of that other stuff. And I, so I want to get him back on a second time, maybe even a third time to talk about some of that. About what there's he a lot in that book. Yeah. About what he ultimately yeah. thinks is the intelligence. Or- I, I think there's kind of a multiverse kind of aspect to it yeah, and more yeah. of a paranormal kind yeah. of aspect to it huh. that he that he's getting to, but I haven't gotten to that part of the book. But there was just so much about d- disproving kind of natural selection-based evolution that there was enough for an hour to talk to the guy right. about. That's interesting. See, I, I'm I'm sort of on the fence about it. Like I, like I was saying before we we started recording, I, um, I don't think Darwinian evolution answers everything. I think there's sure it was, it was a great step forward as far as how we understand things, you know. But there's just yeah things tend to to go in like this weird step pattern. Like there's a huge leap and then there's a plateau and a huge leap and a plateau. Yeah. I think what you describe is what's called punctuated equilibrium. It's not as much of a gradual slope. Yeah. You don't see like, you don't see all the, the steps of this slow process in the, in the fossil record. I mean, that's because it's, you know, the fossil record is just not very complete. You know, well, you even, even samples in, from here and there. And that's what, right. Even in current evolutionary theory, I remember this from my anthropology classes about this, is there's this concept called punctuated equilibrium, which is basically what you just described. So what happens is things stay the same for a particular type of creature for a long time, and then something happens, whether that's environmental or there's something even more that changes that creature to something to something else. Right. That's actually part of I you know, I could be getting this wrong. There might be somebody <laughs> yelling at the at the radio right now or their, yeah, ear, their earphones. We're not but, evolutionary biologists. So. But so this has been twenty years since I took this in this class, but that's how I remember it being described to me by an anthropologist. So it, that in and of itself is like kind of you know, they would say, well, it's the environment or it's some kind of pressure that causes that to happen, which is valid, but it also could be, it also could be something right. else. Right, reminds me of, uh, there was a, there's a couple of examples in nature that are really, really hard to explain, like the, um, 
the Bombarda Beetle. Do you know anything about that? I'm it's familiar got, with it. But yeah, it, it's you know it it evolved. It's got these like two chemicals or whatever in its abdomen that it can spurt out, and when combined, they like cause a reaction and this tiny explosion. And for something like that to evolve, like you'd have to have you know millions of uh, things born that either blow themselves up or that don't work or that like you know in, uh-huh. before the one that happens to like evolve that works and can you know there's there's a lot of weird examples like that where it's like it's th- that's what Dr. Wysong was getting to that's where he was talking about where he was talking about like mutations and how mutations don't necessarily aren't a good thing they're usually a bad they're most usually a bad thing so how can they actually be an engine for evolution right well, when they're advantageous is what yeah, but science says. Right, well, and you've got a lot of time span and a huge enough sample base that it is it is feasible that you could get something that like pops up that's like, hey, I'm something cool and unusual and great, and I'm going to dominate. Or it could be but, that that advantageous mutation, in, quote, in quotation marks, is something that happens to benefit, and it's... It comes from another source, right. basically. Like, like evolution is kind of guided in a way. Yeah. I don't. I don't know about. I don't. I don't think I would believe that. But I'm open to um, possibilities of what biological life even is. You know, and if it's a uh, if just. DNA is a design thing either from some divine source or possibly some other kind of uh, living beings in the universe or something. I think I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, and, and whether, um, you know, if this biological life is, like we were talking about earlier with the AI stuff and everything else, whether biological life is just some kind of gate or conduit for some other kind of consciousness to enter into this physical realm, uh, or if it's a way of the physical realm to observe itself, like all those theories. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm open to all that kind of stuff, but, but I think that, you know, mu- mutation and the, the, uh, I guess, traditional evolution, I, I do, I definitely see it, you know, taking place on, in all kinds of different ways. Yeah, I think it's part of the equation. I don't think Yeah, yeah. But I think there's some other aspects to it. I think as far as, I'm pretty ignorant about it, but as far as I know, human evolution uh, stands right now, I think it's progressively getting, uh, the, the modern humans that we are now, it's progressively getting older and older. And I think... A lot of estimates now are looking at over a hundred thousand years, possibly two hundred or more of modern humans. Yeah, I think I and remember that when... stuff puts all this history into question. You know, of like, yeah. so if if we were if we had these same capabilities, then you know, we only started doing things ten to five thousand years ago, you know, quote unquote civilizations. So you know. If, if oh, we've been pl- around that long, I mean, plenty of time for civilizations to rise and yeah. fall and deteriorate and become undiscoverable. Well, yeah, I think we've like we talked about um, 
seventy thousand years ago was the. Did we talk about this on the show? Maybe this was just a conversation you and I had, Sergio. But it there was um, seventy thousand years ago was the Toba super volcano, which a super volcano can mess things up pretty yeah. pretty well, and it is estimated that the human population went down low. They think it went down to maybe about a thousand people, like a very low human population. And that's a genetic, that's considered, they considered that a bottleneck. And so 70,000 to about, what is it? 12,500 years ago to the younger Dryas and whatever happened there. I mean, you talking about at least what sixty thousand years where there could yeah. have something could have happened, wrote, risen and fallen. Because I mean, we don't understand what easily. we don't understand what was happening ten thousand years ago, or even that could have been what wiped out the you know previous grand civilization or whatever, right there too. Yeah, if we'd been around for a hundred thousand years before, then there's no reason to think that it couldn't have grown to some I, massive you know civilization. I think there's some distant memories that are recorded in the myths mythology the world, yeah. and oh, especially like in the mm. Bible. Because if you look at like this whole concept Not of even just the Bible, there's there's so many shared stories amongst right. all the major religions. The yeah. Greeks, the Babylonians. I mean you get you get the flood story from the Babylonians essentially, but or Sumerians really. But if you look at these um, different mythologies. I think that there's a, a survival. Or like there, there's some people that th- that believe that you know in the book of Genesis there's actually two different creation stories. That you've got the creation of humanity, and then the creation of Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve starts the bloodline that is talked about all throughout the Bible. But. That creation where they say that you know the earth was out form and void. Some people, and this these are these are theologians that think this that that this was a memory of something bad that happened, and the earth was basically recreated, like uh, terraformed, probably something like the Toba volcano. Okay, yeah. and then you've got the cataclysm of the flood that happens later, and the and the the destruction of the antediluvian world. I find it really compelling that where Gobekli Tepe is is not that far away from where the for where the ark is said to have landed. Yeah, you talked about that a lot. Yeah. So I think that there's definitely this uh there is this memory, this remnant of a memory that is so distant it just becomes mythology. Right. And what I was going to say about Darwin and about uh, intelligent design that when Darwin came up with his whole concept of natural selection, they didn't know what DNA was. Right. It's not discovered until over 100 years later. And DNA is so much more complicated. And I really think that there's something within DNA, like Serfiel was getting to, that it's almost like there's a program there. Yeah, it is. And that is super fascinating. 
Yeah. So you think some of the changes are predetermined, not just from uh, external forces? Is that no, the not that's no, no, no. I don't. Think I, that I think that. I think it might be. The whole well, epigenetics well, thing is. Well, well, what were you getting to with as far as DNA being part of the the process itself? Oh no, I was saying that not necessarily like this intelligent evolution, but whether yeah, we we all are DNA, all all these living organisms, right? Um, besides like viruses and, and bacteria, They're, yeah, proto life or not even or like a. But whether it's whether DNA itself is an engineered thing, I guess kind of like it's almost like the deist idea of like the God that just sets the clock and it just goes, you know, yeah, something like yeah. that. Of like, I, well, it's like I kind feel, of what I'm saying like you don't think that part of that's like programmed into the DNA itself, though. That what's programmed into it? The the changes in the course of oh. things. Not necessarily. I think I, I kind of. I think it's more of the the clock set and it's just gone, you know. But I but but I'm not sure if I really like can buy the primordial soup, you know. Yeah, and Doctor Wiseon talked about that and yeah. how that's almost like virtually the primordial impossible. soup is really yeah. yeah like the, the the further you go back in the theory, the more it just kind of falls apart. Except for this admission that they they don't want to admit that. Well, we don't really know. Yeah, we really don't. And what is and what is it? And is biological life? Yeah, is it actual? Like, is it a stargate? Are we a stargate? Is biological life so that like the spiritual realm from elsewhere can enter into this realm? Right. Well, we do know that the components to to create it were there. Yeah. The um. Uh. Maybe not the the protein the, the like uh, amino acids the basic yes, like, compounds yes. and stuff could be created in that kind of environment they were there and but, but we the, the can't leap, the leap make from, them but form even the leap, that's true no. that's true though that's but, good yeah but even the leap from that to DNA is just like light years yes so and he lists he he in the interview and in the book he talks about the cha- um the chances of it and I mean it's 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 absurd. I mean, just, it's an absurd number. And, but, uh, we are talking billions of years. Yeah. I was going to say that, um, possibility that the spiritual realm, the realm of non-material creates the material. Right. And we enter into that. That's basically, I think where you're getting into. Or like the Gnostics, yeah, feel that we are actually imprisoned into in, this. In, yeah, yeah. The, so it's like the you know the physical and the uh, spiritual worlds are at odds with each other. Yeah, and so this is like the the punishment by the the evil <laughs> the archons uh, demiurge. Yeah, uh, good old demiurge. Yeah, right. Um, that's a productive little discussion. See, Rob, your 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 brain parasites are, I think, Man, helping Rob, you out. They're smarter they than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll keep them around. Well, we hope you're going to be okay, Rob. So, but we, we we miss having you every week. But 
Everyone out there, send good vibes. Yeah. Uh, prayers, whatever you do, to Rob. And uh, I'm going to go to the doctor tomorrow and just find out that I haven't been drinking enough water or something. <laughs> <laughs> that could be it. Or that it's brain parasites. Or that's brain. I think you're hoping that it's brain parasites. I don't. I've never met anyone with brain parasites. Yeah. I'd be like. <laughs> so if it is brain parasites and uh, people want to give to help out Rob and Conspiranormal, <laughs> uh, where so do they need to go, Rob? So patreon.com slash Conspiranormal. Uh, we got lots of bonus content. A couple of new things tonight we're going to post up there for you. Um, it's a great way to help support the show because, you know, we spend money with web hosting and websites and just our time in general and if you don't want to subscribe to anything and want to do a one-time donation you can do that through our website at conspiranormal.com and if you want to support the show but you don't want to spend any money doing it just tell your friends or do a nice five-star review on itunes or stitcher wherever you listen all right well here's how the rest of the year is going to go since we don't have too much longer uh next week we're planned to be back over at surfiel's at studio b uh, Tim Beckley, I have an interview scheduled with him. He is a UFO researcher uh, that lives in New York City and uh, also has got a lot. He had a lot of uh, experiences with the rock community there, including the New York Dolls. So I'm really excited to talk to him about that. Uh, and then closing out, basically closing out the year will be Dr. Future. The return of Dr. Future to impart some wisdom to us. And then as we usually do, either at the end of uh, December or the beginning of January, we will have posted our year in review episode oh, wow. as well. So it's going to be fun. We'll get to talk about uh, everything from, I think, episode 196, I think is where we started. Really? In this year. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's getting close to 250, man. You'd be starting to think of something. Gotta start planning the 300th episode now. I know, right? I know. All right, guys. Well, we will be back next week on Conspiracy. Great parasites.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.